fight. Three, two, one. Welcome to Arcade Attack. <laughs> A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Sonic Boom! Welcome listeners to the latest Arcade Tap podcast. I've got another amazing guest on today's show. He's been on the site before of a text interview, but we've got one better here. We've got Mike Rouse, double BAFTA award winning Mike. Um, a real pleasure to talk to you, Mike, and I, you know, I can't wait to talk to you. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, obviously, uh, we, we've spoken before uh, on, on, um, over chat, but uh, to actually get to speak to you now is awesome. It's amazing. And, I, you know, our text industry was very popular and some of the stuff you've been involved in the gaming industry, I'm, you know, really interested to hear, from, you know, directly from you. But can we, let's start from the beginning then, because um, how did you get the opportunity to, to go into the video game industry? And do you, do you remember the first ever game you worked on? Yeah, so um, it, it's a long and convoluted story story <laughs> but um i i i had a very um singular focus at one point in my life when i was a young lad which was which was to make games um and i think that was a big driver uh, and it, it helped me know what i wanted to do um i had gone down the sport route uh, initially um to be a, a trainer and um i you know when i was really young i was um, competing internationally um in judo um but um uh, asthma got in the way of that and uh, pretty much ruined my sport career um but my other love was was um video gaming and drawing art and things like that so um yeah i guess that singular focus meant that every decision i was making was a push to to get closer to that so i took uh, after after getting some pretty poor grades at school um uh primarily because i wasn't there for um for most of it was in hospital with asthma, but right. also because I was probably a bit of a, a lazy little git. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, um, you know, I, I took a course in computing. Um, and then, uh, they had a, the reason why I took that is because they had this opportunity to workplace you. And then I took a, a, a job in a newspaper as a secretary and I worked weekends, uh, in their graphics department for free. And then after a couple of months, they're like, do you want to work in this? And I was like, yep. Uh, and I worked in there for a couple of years and then I realized I had the professional qualifications to go to uni. Uh, so I, you know, I said my goodbyes and, uh, went off to uni to do, um, 3d animation. Nice. Um, yeah. And then Sony came along looking for, um, people to, to help out students to help out and in, in the summertime. And I've instantly volunteered, um, and just threw everything I had at it. Um, and after that uh, summer stint, they said, look, do you want to come back? I think I think it was the only person asked to come back. Wow. Uh, and they said, do you want to come back and work for us? So um, uh, you know, there was a, a third year to the to the university course. But uh, I was like, nope, <laughs> bye. I'm off uh, wow. to go work for Sony now. So, uh, yeah, I went off to work for Sony. And I um, initially started off on uh, This Is Football, um, the, the first PS2 This Is Football um, but while I was doing that, I was also doing the getaway. So I was doing characters, um, like face yeah. textures, things like that on, on this is football and, um, on the getaway, I'd started off helping out just making the wheels. 
uh, for the cars. <laughs> um, and yeah. um, but there was only one other guy uh, called Ben, and um, and he wanted some help. So um, I said, "Yeah, I'm I'm really up for this." And they gave me a load of stuff I had to learn, but I was just like, yeah, I'm just an impatient person. So I just pushed that to one side and said, like, I'm modeling a car straight away. Nice. Uh, and, and went off and modeled the BMW 3 Series, uh, which I think was in the E3 demo we were pushing for. But uh, yeah, that that was my entry into the, the games industry. It was um, a lot of stubborn hard work and a, and a bit of good luck. We'll talk about the, the getaway in a second, if that's all right, Mike. But have you ever thought about where your life might be if you said no to Sony and you said, I need to finish this unit? Have you ever thought where it could be? Because it's a, it's a big yeah, decision, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But, yeah, um, I, not really, because that that's the only place I saw myself going yeah. is is working in games. So if I, don't, if I think it wasn't, if it wasn't Sony, um, it would have been another studio. Um, yeah. I, you know, I would have finished my university course and, and gone for another studio. My, my part-time job was working in a video game <laughs> store. So everything I was doing was really kind of pushing forward to, to being in games in, in some way. Oh, nice. Uh, I probably should have asked earlier, actually, what, what were your favorite games growing up then? He's, did you like fighting games? That's such IK plus maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, but the, the big, the big games for me were beat em ups. Um, so in the eighties I spent my time in arcades. Um, I, I kind of missed the whole gen two console thing. I was there for gen one. Uh, we had a Magnavox odyssey at home um and uh but arcades came along so as kids like there was no there's no internet or you know it was other board games at home or or terrestrial tv at five o'clock to six o'clock for cartoons so uh the rest of the time we were at arcades um playing and and my favorites were were beat-em-ups and then my absolute favorite was double dragon at that time because me and my friend had sunk so much money into it it was a brand new arcade game and then at the end of each other end of it we had to beat each other up uh, i remember it's a yeah. great twist isn't it yeah um <laughs> and it, it took us both by surprise we i think we were just standing there for a while just wondering what we had to do um but i beat him uh and uh, so yeah arcade games and arcade games and beat em ups in the early days were um the thing that i loved um, where was Sony based, if you don't mind me asking? Because obviously Japanese company, but offices in you didn't move country. You're still in in England, is that right? Yeah, that, that, we were in the London office. So I was yeah. um, Team Soho, um, and they they were in uh, near Carnaby Street, um, and then we merged Team Soho and not Cambridge Camden mm. uh, together to make um, the London studio. Uh, and we literally moved, I think, two buildings down. Uh, and then there's a, a building there called CNN, near, near Liberties. If you know London, you've got Liberties. And then basically one set of buildings is uh, CNN and the rest are, are Sony buildings. I mean, what a company to get your first job at. I mean, um, let's talk about the getaway for a minute, because if you owned a PS2, you, you owned the, the getaway, it seemed. It was that popular. I mean, it's a great game. But what was the development like you, you said you, when you first came you work on the tires but was it when you first joined and how much control did you have on this game and was it inspired for example by the classic gta games because there was a bit of a gta feel to it mm. would, you, would you would you agree yeah so i mean it, it wasn't really inspired at all by gta um uh brendan who was the game director was was good friends uh with the guys up at rockstar north um we'd started our game just before them i think in terms of development um 
but it happens all the time in the in the games industry there's a lot of talented people working together bouncing ideas off of each other um and it just so happened that the, the getaway and and gta uh in 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 what people know to be gta um you know that's that's they start at the same time um unfortunately our technical ambitions were so great we we ended up shipping after them and i can remember us having the discussion as a team is like you know you've got to be first or best uh and gta came out and we're like this you know if if we'd been out first uh it may have been a slightly different story but um it, it, it is how it is but yeah we we weren't there was a friendly rivalry like the teams didn't really know each other but we had some uh i can't remember what easter eggs we had in about gta we had some easter eggs in gta and gta had some easter eggs in uh about us and then i think true crimes came out and then they had some easter eggs with uh the getaway so you know there was there were a number of teams that were kind of pioneering this open world gameplay uh at the time and we all came out at, at slightly different points, um, but I think it was just where the evolution of gameplay in the industry was going at the time. Mm. And what was your, Mike, how much freedom did you get to work on the getaway? Were you given like, a, was it like an open text book? It's a brand new IP, obviously. Were you given a lot of freedom or was there a, you know, a big story already you had to work with? Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. It's, it, I'd say it's still, it was PS2 era was still what we'd call old school games development. Yeah. Uh, you know, throw it at the wall, see what sticks. Um, the, the budgets were a lot bigger then, but Sony were very bullish at this time. Um, you know, the PlayStation one had done extremely well for a, a company that had never made games before. Uh, first time in the industry. Um, so they, they were very, very bullish coming into it. Um, it was, I would say it was organized chaos uh, developing in the PS2 era. Uh, we knew what we were doing. There was a ton more freedom. It was a lot more user-friendly than PS1. PS1 was quite a difficult console to develop for. Um, certainly as an artist, it was um, uh, it was pretty amazing to, to be able to get this stuff up onto the kit. It was fast. It was quick. Um, and there was a lot of freedom to, to create what we wanted. Um, there's, you know, as a Sony studio, we have some real um targets we're trying to hit and that is to show off the technology first mm-hmm. um you know as, as a games developer you want to make great games but as a first party developer if it's xbox or if it's uh, playstation or if it's nintendo you have to make a good game and you have to make a game that shows other developers um what's possible on on the console yeah no and um I mean, how do you reflect back on it now, the, the, that particular title? Because it, it, like I said, it was hugely successful. Are you obviously you should be very proud of it, but how do you look back at it now? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because um, I've covered it a, a little bit and spoken about it a, a little bit. Uh, I didn't think people liked it that much. Uh, oh, really? As a dev t- yeah, as a, as a dev team, you're I guess you're kind of blind to it. You're, you spend like four years making these things. Um, and I think at the end of it, a lot of us were proud but sick of it (laughs) um and you know there was there were some issues that we were aware of there you know it was i think it was pretty much the first cover shooter game um so you know gta didn't have this so there was no cover shooting mechanics and we were wrestling with for the first time this um the three c's uh you know character camera controls um and we were doing something quite complex with it so it was 
it was a frustrating and hard development cycle for the getaway. Um, there was a lot to do. First uh, real-world recreated city. First game that had streaming uh, with no load times going from one end of the city and going into interiors. Um, first game to have no UI. Uh, first game to have the C word in it. Um, <laughs> at, you know, first game to have that level of motion capture and storytelling in it. Um, yeah, yeah. So reflecting on it, it's like, wow, it was pretty groundbreaking. Um but you know you're you're I guess you're scarred by development uh, when when you're making games. Um, but it's only I guess in the last the recent years that I've started to look back on it, and it, it's been great to hear how much people love it and how many people have fond memories. And a lot of people have contacted and said, "Look, this is my most favorite game ever." Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that's that's amazing to hear. Just to hear one person say that something you've made is is something that they love. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, did you work on the sequel? I mean, fill me in, Mike, how was that a few years after it? And how did you try and adapt that, uh, you know, improve it from the the first one? Yeah, it was, it was, um, we started development. It was a long time ago. So trying to remember (laughs) that. I think we we started development about two or three months later. Um, I can remember managing to finish Shenmue one and two in the time before in the office while we were waiting to start development. Um, But there was a lot of R&D going on. So um, pretty much the day we shipped uh, the disc off to get printed on the getaway, I started doing R&D on motorcycles. Um, my partner in crime, Ben, went off to, to Team Bondi um, to, to do um, uh, their game. But um, I, I stayed around. So I had the, the car department was mine at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, there was a lot of R&D that was going on. Um, I was on the cars. There were huge changes that we made to the cars, the quality and resolution, detail. You know, we added side damage. Um, the cars only had 2D physics in the first getaway. Um, uh, so whenever you see the car come off the ground, like a ramp or anything, that was an animation. Um, oh, yeah. And then uh, so we added 3D collision. That was a, a big thing for um, the getaway. And it's it's kind of invisible, but, you know, you hit a rail in, in number two and you don't just stop. Uh, and, and we had physical objects and so um, from that point of view there was a lot uh, a lot more I also did some of the exterior gameplay stuff um, some stuff didn't make in we had these ideas for rooftop chases where you just press when you get to a set of stairs you just press forward and your character automatically runs up and then you got rooftop chases and you could go down into shops uh, have uh, shootouts there and then go out again so um but yeah, there, there was there was a little bit of time in between, not much, because um, we were straight onto R and D writing the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, the goal for us is not only to make a great story, but then we had to show again how the PS2 could be technically impressive for developers. Yeah, nice. But how about a third title? Because I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, there's been two getaway titles. Was there ever talk, at least, or even some work on a third title? And and it would be would it be something you'd be interested in the future, personally? Yeah, there was there was actually um, another two, um, wow. well, three titles in development. Um, one of them came out, Gangs of London, um, that was um, built off of all the getaway assets. Um, I can't remember the reason why we didn't call it getaway, but it was the getaway on, on PSP. I think it was because it wasn't as open world. And it was more like gang warfare and more um, 
strategy based um and I, I think the worry was that if we named it the getaway the expectation is that hey there's an open world uh going on to psp um yeah so that was one of the the early titles for psp uh we had getaway online which is what i uh was working on um that actually became playstation home um so wow. yeah really? there was yes <laughs> uh so there was uh we got to a point where we we're just like it's the PlayStation 2's online functionality wasn't great. What we were trying to do was just too complex for the PlayStation and its user interface. So we decided to rip it out, um, all the gangster parts. And we said, look, the really cool thing here is that you could go to pubs, meet people, chat with them, play pool, play darts, set up a, a raid and then go off. So we kept the community element. Uh, and so the first iteration of PlayStation Home, which was called PlayStation Hub in those days, mm. um, was gangster bars and pads uh, that you could drive between. Um, and that was how we tested our network code and, and the main functionality. Um, I also worked on uh, early part of Getaway 3. So I did the demo, E3 demo, the first E3 demo, Piccadilly Circus, did all the cars for that. Uh, and then those same cars were in the Amsterdam demo. Um, but it was it was in development. Um, there was another game that was exactly the same as the Getaway being developed in the studio at exactly the same time um and they ended up unfortunately both getting cancelled uh, uh but uh yeah so they they, they there was a there was a bigger future uh for for the getaway but um just circumstances meant that um we didn't go forward with it oh my i mean there's put there's people crying out for more i'm sure yeah. they would like a a remaster or a whole new title which do you, do you think there's room for it what do you reckon because uh, yeah cause gta 5 has been around for so long i think there's a gap in the market truthfully yeah so um so I've just um, before I joined my current employer, I just uh, I was working at 2K for for Hangar 13, um, and we just finished doing uh, Mafia Definitive Edition. Um, and I got to say, developing that with the guys felt like the getaway. So if you've if you've not if you're looking for a getaway esque title, uh, the Mafia Definitive Edition um, is very very getaway. Um, and it's it's an interesting uh, it was an interesting fate um, turn of fate for me because Mafia released on PS2 in the same year that we released the getaway. Um, and then I went on all these years later to go work on the remake of it. Um, and we uh, introduced the uh, the cover mechanic because the original Mafia obviously didn't have cover mechanic. That was that was a uh, get pioneered by the getaway. So it had the cover mechanic introduced to it um all the the open world stuff where the city is a backdrop but the storyline is the star um so yeah if, if people are keen and they want their fix now uh i definitely say that you know for me at, at times i almost felt like i was playing and developing the getaway again uh when i was uh messing around with with mafia definitive edition so um i think yeah for now there's there's the fix but i'd love to see something in the future just after seeing all the fans of, of this come out and talk about it, I'd love to see something in the future for them, at least. With Mark Hammond, I take it. What, you know, what, what do you think of him as a character? Um, yeah, I'd love to see him as a... I mean, we spoke about this before when we had that, when we did the interview. I, yeah, you know, yeah. I, he's, um, he's not a nice guy. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he sleeps in his suit uh, and has a gun by his bedside. Um, so, you know, not, not the, the best uh, dad in the world. Um, but that anti-hero, I think, works really well. Um, and I think, you know, 
I think fans would love that if we we came back to it and uh, it's it's him as an old gangster boss, maybe, uh, you know, on the, oh, yeah. the twilight days of London gangsters um, with 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 everything, you know, with new 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 blood gangsters coming into London. That, that could be quite <laughs> interesting. So essentially him becoming Charlie, uh, you know, the thing that he, yes, he despised, yes. but uh, and him becoming that would be awesome. And obviously, um I read this, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the getaway was inspired by you know, like Snatch and Lockstock. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would you agree with that? that that's yeah, what absolutely. Happened, yeah? yeah, absolutely. That's, um, Brendan, the director, was very much um, inspired by that. His, um, his skill set was writing stories, directing, um, and uh, you can see it just in the vocabulary, uh, how things are put into the story, how that's structured. Um, and, you know, it's... A lot of people have, have likened um, or have said that, you know, games like Uncharted exist because of the getaway, because it was just so story driven. Um, you know, it was, it was the, probably one of the first big um, stories where it was all about the characters and, and, the, and the scenery and the world you were in was really just the backdrop to, to the narrative that was unfolding. Oh, good stuff. Um, so after you worked on, on the getaway, did you... Was your next big project SingStar, or is there a few things in between? So um, my next big project was PlayStation Home. Of course, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, we, we started developing that out, um, and there was some, there was some interesting things, because uh, I, I changed from an artist to move into production. I became a producer at that point. Um, and so I was now involved in a lot of the creative, um, pushing a vision, um, and and this original vision we we had as a small group of ten people was to create a social platform for gamers, um, where they could come and um, share their passion for games. Uh, they could dress up as their favourite characters. They could launch in their games together, um, kind of giving like a three D f- uh, front to to the the PlayStation Network. Um, and it it is interesting. It was it was one of the first live you know services like that for for console. Uh, I think it was probably the first, um, and there was a lot of pioneering things that we had in there. So you know, it's was, it was one of those firsts to to have advertising in the background. Um, yeah. You know, Sony were were confused by it. Definitely, Sony marketing were confused by it because when we pitched it, we said it was completely free, um, and uh, <laughs> and it will be on every console. And they were like, we we don't get this. Um, so it, it definitely took a lot of, um, of sales pitch. Phil Harrison was a great champion of, of new and, um, you know, it's something he pushed for. Um, and Ken Kutaragi, uh, it really got traction because Ken Kutaragi wanted to recreate the matrix, uh, on the PlayStation. Oh, uh, cool. you know, he really, he really felt like the PlayStation three was the opportunity for people to have a virtual life. Um, and so, uh, he saw, he saw the, uh, PlayStation home as, as that, um, but for, you know, it, it changed and it became more of a second user uh, platform, less of a hardcore gamer platform that we originally visioned it for. But there were some great things that came out of it. So um, the PlayStation trophy system was, was something that I came up with a direction for. And that came out of PlayStation Home. Um, we were sitting there coming up with a way to give out rewards um, and um, trophies for, for doing things in, in home. Um, and then Xbox came out with their achievements. We're like, why don't we just make this the PlayStation system? Um, and so I worked with, excuse me, I worked with Phil Harrison. Um, and we had a first design that came out from one of our designers, which was just a copy of the achievement system. 
Um, and I didn't like that. It was good, but I didn't, I didn't like that direction. I wanted more depth. Uh, so I sat down and, and scribbled it uh, and said, well, as a gamer, what do I want from this? I, I want to see layers. I want to see layers of achievement. I want, I don't want, I don't want just an achievement to pop up. I want to go, I've got a gold one. Uh, I got a platinum one. I got, you know, I've worked for this and it means something to me. And, and for you to look at another player and go, well, they've got a lot of trophies, but they're all bronze. So they're probably kind of more casual gamers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but that came from there. Then um, improvements to the voice chat came from PlayStation home. Um, we actually took the whole of PSN down on our launch day because everyone was chatting so much and, <laughs> uh sony hadn't realized how popular chat would be so they made a lot of changes to their chat systems to improve that um i don't know if many people know this or remember but the friends list the amount of friends you could have was very limited it was something like i can't remember exactly it was like 20 or 50 um and what playstation home did is people were meeting each other chatting with each other and then making friends with each other and so very quickly that 50 mark broke um and so sony had to expand the friends list so there was a lot of stuff that PlayStation Home did um, that that people don't really realize um, that that pushed that pushed the PlayStation and the service forward. So, you know, there's a lot of people that oh, I didn't like PlayStation Home, but at the same time are winning trophies and it's the thing they loved and don't really realize that 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 was a system that was born from that service. And obviously, today today's consoles have taken so much of that and obviously evolved it a bit, but you must feel very proud that you won the people that helped lay the groundwork. That's, it's incredible. In fact, Mike, I appreciate you telling us that. How incredible. Yeah, it, it's, um, it is pretty mind-blowing to see that. Uh, and, and, you know, it, again, a, a bit of luck there to, to have the opportunity to be able to do those sort of things. Did it feel real, weird not working on games, though, or was it just an opportunity you just couldn't resist? Or how did it, yeah. Well, um, I mean, PlayStation Home really evolved from a game. Um, so... It was, it was hard not to think of it as a game because at the same time we were building out tools that allowed other developers to make games because um, PlayStation Home actually um, had its own um, uh, networking language, uh, what well, not networking language, but it, its own, its own uh, set, suite of tools that allowed you to make games. So we had arcade games in, in there where you could play little arcade games like retro games that you could play. So we were making nice. all of those. Um, and um, some, some of the environments became full games in themselves there was first person shooters there was races uh inside playstation home that were just native to playstation home so um you know by the end of the of its life cycle it was it was extremely popular um not with with hardcore but i'd say with more casual gamers um and um there were some very complex things happening on a, a playstation at the time and it had a diehard fans there was one group of diehard fans which was a a group of men in their 40s who liked to dress up in french made outfits and do synchronized dancing in playstation home home square <laughs> um, so you know things like that it, it spawned some unbelievable communities wow. and um even today, there's a project where people are trying to bring back PlayStation Home. I think they've got it up and running on servers again. Um, and there's a, a real um, diehard fan base there for that for that service. Oh, that's, inc- that's so incredible. Um, 
Let's talk about the BAFTAs for a minute because you've mm. won two awards, which is unbelievable, um, and you should be very proud of yourself. And I, you won one for the Getaway and one for the Sing Star series, and I think you got nominated for a couple other games. But are you happy to talk about that experience and how it felt to win the awards? And I know it's a bit of a tough question, but is there one you're particularly more proud of than the other? Um, can you go through the, like, the yeah, evenings there, for example? Yeah, it's um, it's it's weird because. It, they're such big teams um, that you work on, and um, the awards, uh, the BAFTA awards, when they're they're gifted uh, or you, when you win them, you can choose three names to put on there. Now, right. for, for for SingStar um, uh, and the other games that we won, Sony won BAFTAs for. Sony always chose the dev team uh, as the name that went on the BAFTA. Um, right. And there's there was some, but there were some studios where. Um, certain individuals would only have their names on it which uh which i, I imagine was a bit of a sucker punch wow. for the entire team that worked on it um but yeah it, it, it was it was fantastic um sony had this thing where um they kept the bafta obviously um and um uh, they'd have photographs with the team so you had to be a photograph uh, uh next to the bafta so i've got that um a couple of my friends obviously i toy won a number of BAFTAs and uh, yes. we had some, fr- I have some friends that were working on that. So they have their pictures with that. Um, and in the end, you know, I, I did manage to get something from Sony before I left. Uh, so someone, they were, they were going to throw out the uh, nomination plaque for um, the getaway. Uh, oh. And I said, I'll have it. So I've yeah. got the BAFTA nomination plaque behind me. Um, and I think Phil Harrison ended up taking the, uh, the actual big BAFTA awards with him as well. So I guess, uh, prerogative of rank there um yeah. I, I was a producer and uh, he was head of worldwide studio so uh, he walked away with a with a better deal there that's pretty cool um was there lots of free alcohol was it a good evening and stuff was it a proper yeah so that good events yeah so we don't we don't really celebrate it to be honest in in any of the companies that i've worked with oh, you right. don't really celebrate the awards because they they come sometimes a year after you've shipped the game yeah. Um, so usually our party is the you know we have a launch party once the game goes out, uh, and and that's the big team party. And then the awards are brilliant. But I'm now working on a completely different game that has got another three years ahead of it. So um, <laughs> it's um, it's awesome to see you win it. And there's there's usually some kind of like well done, we've won this. This is excellent. You know, some some studios will have a, a bottle of champagne, but uh, you know, it's a, an industry that doesn't slow down, and it's an industry yeah. that's expensive. So, you know, to make sure that we can uh, get paid and carry on working, we have to move on to the next game quickly um, to to you know to keep that process of of making games and um, uh, paying for a living uh, going. Brilliant. Um- a quick question actually because obviously uh sony um japanese company i've i've spoken to a lot of people that worked at sega and there was a rivalry but sometimes the japanese the sega of japan and sega of the usa sometimes clashed or there's culture issues i'm not going to say names and so forth but did you ever what was your relationship with with sony of japan did you ever get to japan and did they come and see your work and your games and so forth and what was it like yeah, I got to uh, meet quite a few of the guys uh, from Sony Japan. Um, it's a very hierarchical company. Um, as a as a um, as a Japanese company, that's culturally how it is, uh, and so um, you're really just dealing with your peers. Um, you know, it's 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 quite a, an interesting. Um, it was quite an interesting first career job to have because it. Mm. I guess it's made me more. 
uh, when I go into like an American company, I'm more respectful of rank. Uh, whereas in an American company, it's very challenge based. Uh, and so, you know, when I went from Sony to, to Microsoft, I found that culture change quite a difficult one to, to handle because before then I was right. This is this is where I sit within the company. Here are sure. the people I'm allowed to interact with. Um, and and this is um, this is uh, how I communicate upwards. Um, and so I guess I can see where, you know, throughout what the games industry, Sega, uh, PlayStation, uh, Konami, uh, Capcom, the f- friction is cultural. Um, right. And especially yeah. when it's, uh, I think it's more when it's US and, and, and Japanese based because uh, Japan is uh, very hierarchical uh, and the US is very challenge uh, based culture. And so, yeah, they, they butt heads. Um, <laughs> but these companies have made amazing things so it's yeah it's not it's not done them any harm uh and the games industry is full of friction it's a creative industry so um there's rarely a day where someone isn't shouting at another person and it's not because they hate them it's just because they're so passionate uh, about what they want to do that um that that passion sometimes comes out as frustration would you be happy to uh tell us mike why you decide to leave um sony and moved to microsoft it was there a, a good opportunity or yeah so um phil harrison had just left atari uh, and moved to microsoft i think he moved it in april um and then in may he contacted me and said do you want to come to xbox and do something uh and i said yeah um and you know we chatted for a bit and i said you know i'd love to start my own studio um at, at this point i was um I was running a lot of the um, London studio. So I was the dev director at London studio um, and I was running the wonder book franchise uh, and also helping out at a a studio level. So um, for me, it was, uh, you know, an opportunity to become a a, um, studio director um, at a a pretty young age. I was in my early thirties at this point and, and most of my peers um in you know the big triple a studios were in their their 50s so um it was daunting and scary but the opportunity to at, at that age to to get that kind of experience build a studio from scratch um nice. was amazing but um it was a six-month interview process um and wow. <laughs> bill harrison was extremely hard on us um you know i i put together a couple of people that i wanted to ha- come with me from sony and and help build the new studio um yeah he <laughs> He didn't go lightly on us. Uh, I think at one point we thought, that's it, we've blown it. There's no way they're going to let us do this studio. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, after, after that six months, they got, we, you know, we got the budget and approval and um, very rapidly had to put together a studio. What was the studio's name, uh, Mike? So we were Lift London and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, was, uh, it was an interesting studio because we were focused on gaming, but we, we kind of split our strategy um, and we we tried to do something very different. So we had a gaming branch, we had a, a new technology branch, and then we had an augment, uh, augment reality branch um, yeah. within the studio. Um, and the idea that behind that is any one of those could become a success. Uh, and then depending where that success was is where we as a studio would end up within the Microsoft business. Yeah, so um, the, the gaming arm ended up not being a success um not because the games that we were making were were bad um or not worth it but uh, microsoft at that time were de-investing in europe so they closed down lionhead 
Um, I think they were on the verge of uh, perhaps closing down Rare, but but had second thoughts about that one just because of the, the caliber of that studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but a large number of the studios were being closed down. Now, um, we were in a very fortunate space because we had three business arms to, to our studio. And so we decided to, to nestle in on the new tech side of things. Um, and we moved from Xbox into um, the the kind of Windows side of the business. Sure. Um, but at, at that point, because I'm a games developer, um, it was it was time for me to kind of leave Microsoft. So, you know, I did the transition, got everyone up, um, made sure everyone was looked after, um, but then ended up buying the game that we were making from Microsoft. And I think it was the first time Microsoft had ever sold the game. Oh. So I, I, bought, uh, I bought the game and then um, uh, Phil Harrison at that time was also leaving. Uh, so he had other opportunities, but he decided to take the tech that we had been building. Uh, and so he'd done some kind of deal with Microsoft to, to set up his own company uh, doing the tech side of things. So um, Phil went Phil went tech and, and I went games. Uh, not that we were at the same level. Phil was miles ahead of me. I was. <laughs> but you know, that, that's uh, that's how I like to tell the story is that yeah. we were partners. But the reality is, is that that's that's how, you know, I was still very much rooted in games. So wanted to, you know, carry on setting up my own studio. Um, and yeah, set up my own studio with a couple of uh, friends, my art director who had been with me at Sony, nice. uh, who had been my lead artist at one point. Uh, you know, we carried that on through to setting up our, our own studio. What was the what was the game that you took uh, took with you then? So we took a game called Eden Force, um, and it was it was it was going to be a mobile game, um, and it was like a town raiding game, but it was with real console a real oh. console feel to it. So um, the artist we had working on at Yuri was an absolute genius, and he would created us these characters that were very much like The Simpsons, um, you know, quirky misfits. Uh, and what you would do is you would um, go out it was set in a, in a zombie apocalypse and you had a town and you had to rebuild it it was resource management things like that but it was uh, had a very arcadey feel to it um where you would control these characters as a team and you would move them around the board and you could discover new characters and you could bring them in and they would have a backstory to them nice. um so i mean it was a it was a pretty amazing game and the team making it was so tight-knit i think they when they when they left they all left together to go work for another company that was so tight-knit <laughs> Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty stunning game. It's a pity it never saw the light of day. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, it was um, it, it it could have been something very special. We had we had uh, TV uh, lined up for it, so we had this idea for a cartoon to be made, and we even right. got toy figure prototypes made, and we were going to give those out. Um, but unfortunately, the investor we were talking to got uh, cold feet with their own business, and uh, and the, the game never uh, ended up coming out surely there's not surely there's a chance for it to come out now right you still do you still own the ip do you still own the the property no, itself? no unfortunately contractually if we we didn't release oh. it, it went back to microsoft i mean it's it's probably lapsed now so we could probably do something with it um but i think i think times have moved on right uh, so right. the game the game would be different but the characters in the universe uh were uh, pretty stunning do you have the toys still? That's the that's what everyone's thinking. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> uh, so uh, we three D printed them, and then I painted them, and then we made uh, I made these um, plastic um, 
boxes for them, just like Amiibo sort of things. Um, and we were using that when we were, you know, selling the idea to to Microsoft, and uh, and then later when I I took over the IP. But yeah, they're they're on my shelf. There's there's four characters on there. Um, there's a, a girl forgot what her name was but she basically she's stuck in this zombie apocalypse but she's a larper uh and she doesn't want to be anything else but a larper uh we got a, an, another girl who is like ex-police officer um and basically is frustrated she's stuck with these misfits um we got a a, a, a boy who didn't even realize his mum had turned into a zombie um and basically because he was such a slacker uh, and then we have uh, a, a, like a small little doc character and, and he's the guy um, who was who was trying to find the cure for everything. But uh, yeah, the, the, the figures are on my back shelf. How cool is that? Um, yeah. I, I want to talk quickly about the Book of Spells and Singstar. And I, I apologize. It's jumping back and forth a little bit because I can't uh, quite get the timeline in my head right. But what was your role on those two quite interesting and innovative games? Because they're not just box down and video games. There's controllers involved. It's huge technology amazing um sort of you know stuff going on there what can you fill us in a little bit with those two projects yeah sure so they were actually one project so the book of spells was the um franchise uh sorry wonder book was the franchise and the book of spells was one of the games within that franchise right um so at, at the time i was directly um managing and directing book of spells but at the same time i had a number of other teams that uh internal and external that were working on other ips like digs night crawler um walking with dinosaurs um they were all part of the the wonder book family um but uh yeah that that was um it was an interesting thing because i think as a game it was probably the most complex um ar game until maybe the the mario racing game came along uh you know everything else up until then were was basically we put our characters and then we have the background projected and we just map the floor uh you know so if you think about you know pokemon (laughs) go you know that's just your background and we map the floor and that's it whereas uh book of spells Dick's Nightcrawler, you know, we created this peripheral where you're you're interacting it, you're part of the world, and the book is part of the world. So it's bringing that whole book to life uh, and allowing you to do things with it. Um, and we had some really cool ideas. I was also game directing a prototype um, called Storyteller, where we use systemic gameplay uh, to allow players to create their own stories. And, and what that means is you'd have a little girl, uh, and you could put her on the map. Uh, on the book and then you could say put a tree down and then you could say right the the, the girl can go to the tree uh that's fine but then you put an axe down uh and then some options come up around her head is do you want to chop the tree down do you want to throw the axe do you want to leave the axe oh. um and what this was is creating tools that players could create their own stories um much in like little big planet way where you, you're given a suite of tools to create whatever you want so um but that that unfortunately didn't see the light of day. It was extremely complex, and we were about to go into uh, the era of PlayStation Four. Book of Spells was linked to Harry Potter. That's right, isn't it? It's part of that yes. that universe. Did you ever get a chance to meet J.K. Rowling or work closely with their her team, for example? Or yeah, so we worked. I worked very closely with their team um, every week. Um, and she did come into the studio. I got to meet her for all of ten oh. seconds. Oh. Um, <laughs> 
the uh, because the um, the game director and um, I think Phil at that time and you know a couple of the really big guys uh, went in there. But I do remember I had to redecorate one of my meeting rooms um, for her coming in. <laughs> Can I ask why? Ask, well, she didn't ask for it, but we were like, oh, games developer meeting rooms are a little bit dry. You know, they're full of whiteboards and um, yeah, yeah. and chairs where we're kind of doing ideation. So uh, we turned one of the rooms into like a really nice, comfy lounge um it wasn't the first time we'd done that for the for the getaway we actually turned one of our meeting rooms into a full-scale pub oh uh, nice yeah which was which the, it's bizarre going into a meeting room that looks exactly like a pub because once you've had a couple of beers in there and you come out and there's the office <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh hang on a minute this is this is odd um but yeah we, we we redid a room uh so that um you know it was kind of a fantastical living lounge uh, and she would come into there and and she had a look at the game and she, she loved it and it was more um it was less Warner Brothers so it wasn't associated with the film it was it was more associated with her her writings and and Pottermore and uh, are you a fan of Harry Potter as well yourself personally um I like it um <laughs> My wife yep. is a super fan and my daughter is a super fan and uh, my niece and nephew are super fans. So yeah. um, they they are super stoked when I was making this, oh, uh, you know, uh, I was like, oh, this is this kind of cool. Um, but but yeah, they they were. Uh, Have you met her? What's it like? What are you working on now? And obviously I couldn't tell them much until the game oh, came yeah, out. Yeah. But um, I think uh, my my nephew actually had the game at his birthday party um because he was a, a massive fan yeah that's so cool i mean you've worked on some pretty crazy innovative things um not just like game i don't talk down to games but you've worked on the technology is there a, a particular thing you're really most proud of like you know uh, you spoke on net, the playstation network is there a one you're really proud of working quite innovative stuff yeah um there, there there's I, I really like being on the bleeding edge of, of gaming. Mm. Um, you know, there's, um, it's, it's exciting and it's new. Um, I think I'm really proud of the trophy system. Mm. Whilst it wasn't, whilst it wasn't new, the fact that, um, something that's on pretty well, everything from PlayStation three onwards, um, you know, it is amazing. And, um, I know the guy who's, who's got the biggest, um, PlayStation collection, uh, PlayStation trophy collection, you know, you know, he messaged really? me over Instagram. We were chatting and he's like, this is amazing. Uh, this pays for my life. My YouTube channel is wow. all about this. And, you know, you've created <laughs> something that is now my career. So, um, that, that's been amazing. Um, amazing to hear. But, um, I think, each one of these experiences I have been really lucky to be part of. Um, and, you know, I use the word I, I a lot and, and we do that in games development, but there are huge numbers of people that, nice. that contribute. Uh, you know, I didn't code the trophy system uh, and put it on there. That was another group of guys that did that in Japan. Um, uh, I don't maintain the servers for that. There's another group of people. That did. So uh, yeah. there's a lot of things that I'm proud of, but I think cognizant as well that, you know, we in the games industry, no one, even individual single dev team people do the game by themselves. Uh, there's there's always someone else there helping you um, help, you know, bring that that vision to, to life. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I want to talk about Antstream now, if that's OK. Antstream Arcades. Um, I'll put my hands up, Mike. I haven't d tried it myself. I've heard very good things. I've heard it from many different sources. Uh, I'm very tempted to give this a go so um, this might be a bit of a sales pitch to me and my listeners but <laughs> what 
you're the new head of production, is that right there? And can, yeah. can I ask what exactly, there's probably people listening right now who maybe have heard Anstream, a little bit like me, that don't know much too much about it. Are you happy to explain it and how your opportunity yeah. came about? Yeah, so um, how to explain it. Think of it as Stadia for retro gaming and completely free. Uh, <laughs> that so, sounds too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, play it on uh, nearly any device. Uh, very soon it will be anywhere. Um, and you can play it completely free and you can play Double Dragon, Mortal Kombat, Earthworm Jim. Um, there's, there's over a thousand games now and we've got thousands more that we've licensed. Um, and, uh, it's exactly what it is. You, you can play retro games, um, for free. Um, there's an awesome, uh, challenge, uh, uh mechanic to it. So, uh, we actually take the games and we take um, little sections of the games. And we turn those into challenges. So nice. you can take on the challenge of, I don't know, kill as many baddies as possible in um, this shoot 'em up. Um, but then you can also challenge someone to beat your high score. Oh, wow. Uh, and then we've taken that challenge mechanic and we've turned that into tournaments and global leaderboards. So you can compete at a world level uh, on Pac-Man tournament. Uh, and see where you rank against the world's best uh, on Pac-Man. Yeah, so it's um, you know it's it's an extremely exciting area to be in. It, it, you know, it ticks two of my boxes: um, retro gaming, which yeah. is uh, my absolute passion and love. Um, and, and yeah, if the listeners can't see you right now, we might put some YouTube might with your with your permission. But the, in your background, you've got. You're, it's look. There's no wall. I can't see the wall. I just see video games. It's absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. it's an amazing sight. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, it, I am. I may have gone overboard. I may need some uh, intervention at some point. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I love it. Um, and then it, it. It's my passion for innovation uh, and bleeding edge technology and gaming. Um, we, you know, the reality is, as much as I love physical gaming, we're in the twilight years of physical gaming. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's all the big players now have invested big in cloud gaming uh, in some way or another. Um, it's just not possible from an environmental level, from a resource level, from a business level to, to carry on making physical things to play games on. So um, in the next few years, uh cloud gaming will be the, the, the way you play games yeah. Yeah. um and to be honest i think you know as game developers this is the thing we were so excited about creating a game for a you know creating a game that has to work on multiple consoles with different architecture with different memory limits is is very painful and time consuming and expensive um and what cloud gaming allows us to do is make it the game once uh, and yeah, make yeah. it amazing and and you know i think that really showed when you look at cyberpunk um all yeah. these consoles had so many problems and then on stadia as a developer they just went yes that it's the best thing uh best graphics best everything and we'll just stick it on here you'll have no option you know no issues playing it it just works um so as as developers cloud gaming is big it means that um you know, we'll make the game once means we've got more money to spend on making the game better, uh, yes. making the game bigger as a consumer. You, you know, you're going to move into an era where, you know, that since Mega Drive days, 60 frames a second. Why, why isn't every game 60 games a second, 60 frames a second, right? <laughs> we're, we're getting, you know, cloud gaming unlocks that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, for me, Antstream is that that opportunity where one of the very few companies that are doing this 
Um, we're the, the only company that's doing it with retro gaming in the way that we're doing it, which is exciting. Um, and I get the opportunity in my role to do some of the things I did with PlayStation and, and Xbox, you know, bring um, some cool mechanics or cool services that people are going to really enjoy and want to engage with on the platform. That does sound very interesting. What what do you think are the, the, the sort of biggest games currently on your system? What 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 classic titles have you got? Oh Christ, there's so many. <laughs> um, so I really like um, the Metal Slug series on there. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of, you know a lot of in fact most of the Data East games um, I really enjoy. Um, a lot of the beat 'em ups. There's a ton of games that I've been introduced to. Um, I've never been. I've always enjoyed shmups, but I've never been confident enough to play them because they're scary with the amount of stuff that's on screen. <laughs> um, but the number of 16-bit um, shmups that are on there now, I'm just discovering games that I'm. This is amazing. I've never played this before, sort of thing. Um, and I think that's that's one of the most amazing things about this service is. is Imagine you had a library of every single, I don't know, whatever your favorite gaming platform was for free. Uh, you can experiment and just try whatever you want out. Um, and and that's that's what I'm finding with Antstream is that there's there's no one game where I'm like, this is amazing because I'm discovering games that are stunning that I've never even heard of before. I mean, it does sound so good. And uh, is, there, is there Amiga titles on there? Is that right? I think I... Yes. There's a, a massive Amiga library. I've, I've been playing um, Alien Breed a lot. Oh, that game uh, is too good. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, I think we've got every version of it as well uh, so on the Amiga. Can you play two-player uh, Alien Breed and different... You'd have to be in the same room and stuff. Is that right? Or how... So that, that functionality will come in the future. Right, uh, right, right, right. So at the moment, it's couch co-op. Um, uh, and then in the future, and I'm not... I'm not talking the distant future, uh, but in the future, uh, we're working at bringing you uh, simultaneous remote multiplayer oh. gameplay. Man, me, me and you might one day alien breed. We yeah. wait. <laughs> yeah. uh, is, is there a game you'd love to see uh, on Antstream? Is there like an IP you think, oh, it'd be so good to get that on there? I know you've got a good library, but is there one you think, oof, this could be... I don't know. It's, it's so hard. There's... Knowing, knowing some of the um, deals we're about to sign, they, they, right, they've right, got right. some of my, my favorite games on there. Um, I think there's, there's games that no one will be able to get that I would love to have seen on Antstream. You know, the Nintendo games. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Nintendo will only release their games on their platform. Um, yeah. You know, um, saying that we've got a lot of SNES games. So, we, you know, I've never played Super Star Wars on the SNES. And we've got Super Star Wars. We've got Empire Strikes Back. Uh, we've got Return of the Jedi on the SNES or all, all on um, all on Antstream. So I'm getting to play SNES games that I'd never played before uh, on, on Antstream, which is awesome. But, yeah, I think um, maybe in the future, maybe in the future, there's uh, there's maybe Nintendo buys us. Imagine. <laughs> and, and, um, and then it'll be there i hope one day you get zool on there my friend because obviously ant stream it makes sense right <laughs> yeah yeah zool is on there oh is it i'll take oh there you go that, that's, i'm a big fan so there you go um yeah i i am impressed actually you said it's free is there any any catch to it is there adverts or is there nothing there must be some how, put you on the spot here but how does your company generate money then if it's it's free for example so um, a lot of our focus, and this is you'll find this with any new company, is is not necessarily the finance of uh, you know making money of it. it. It's about getting as many people into it. Um, saying that we are going to be rolling out uh, within the next month our advertising funded model, uh, model um, which uh, 
just means that you've you've got to use some gems to play the games um uh and it won't be you play one session and then you have to pay gems again um the only way you get gems are from logging in you get them as rewards and you can get them from watching ads so there's multiple ways of getting yeah um you don't have to buy them uh and uh, you can just go in and once you've paid uh, your gems um to play uh zool you just carry on playing zool nice play zool and play zool and play zool and and you only have to play to play zool again uh if uh you switch off ant stream and go away um but all your save data is is kept you lose none of that that's that all remains the same the best thing about it i think is if you get a really good i don't know lap score or you get a high score you can i assume you can share it on on your social media and like look at beat this kind of thing that must be pretty cool yeah and it's it's not just shared it's automatically shared with the world oh, so cool. you will be able to see where you and like i uh, being a, a double dragon fan i have uh some of the number one scores and the challenges for double dragon um so what uh, what's your initials if you for your double dragon scores or so mine is uh i've chosen retro gamer boy so my whole username appears <laughs> up there <laughs> so uh, you can link your facebook so you can have your real name there but uh, oh, i've nice. got retro gamer boy in there but it's it's great sometimes I've, I've played a game i'm like oh this is brilliant and then it brings you to the world high scores i'm like oh my god i'm number three uh, <laughs> that's amazing uh probably won't stay that long for but uh yeah it's 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 stunning um Mm. It, you know it makes that gaming world smaller uh, and the tournaments are, are true global tournaments you know most great. most people only get to do tournaments if they were to join an esports team and go off to an esports thing here you get the opportunity to compete literally against the world's best uh, in a tournament and see where you place against them Mike, this is i love it i'm i'm gonna try it out you you, you swayed me Answering <laughs> sounds sounds the way i know you've got some other other legends working there i think like, is it jim bagley works there and there's you know some big big gaming legends that work there so it's it's you know it's going place definitely isn't it um you also have a youtube channel i mean are you still doing that is that right you've got a lot on your plate but is that something you're happy to talk about that briefly and what what sort of stuff you cover there yeah so um it's called the retro gamer boy show um and it's it's been doing uh doing amazing i think um you know when i started it, it it it's a way of just connecting with other people that um like retro games i really liked i put a video up i think and some people commented on it and i was like oh this is amazing uh i'm talking to people who like games retro games and yeah, yeah, yeah. having spent a career in triple a there are very few people in the triple a games industry that play retro games um there, there's quite a few people that don't play games at all who are in the triple a games Na- name and shame please <laughs> uh, <laughs> i could name whole studios but um yeah so it's it, um it was it started off as a, a way of connecting with with other people and it and it still very much is that but um i think at the end of last year i was at 2000 subs and uh, i'm about to hit 8000 now wow um so it's it's taken off you know i do live stream uh, we play ant stream and i People get to see my horrific skills. We joke that I, I managed to complete these games in one coin, but it's more like 60 or 70 continues I'm using to finish the game. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, we have that. Uh, and then I, I put out new episodes. It's predominantly um, Mega Drive focus at the moment. That's that's what I'm collecting for. Um, so I kind of do a mix of um, history um, about certain games, certain titles. And then um, I also document my um ri- ridiculous efforts to collect every single mega drive game um which my how wife is how many do you own then do you mind me asking mega drive games i am at 350 
wow. at the moment. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've just picked up the most expensive game, which was Pirates of Darkwater. Heard of it. That's extremely rare. <laughs> yeah, so I, literally that came through the post today, uh, and I've been searching for months for it. Um, and about a month ago, a friend of mine who who's just retired from the games industry, which is weird to say because the games industry is so young. There's, there's maybe like five people that have retired <laughs> from it. Uh, but he, he used to work at EA uh, and he gave me a load of stuff. And one of the things in there was a, a game called Lakers versus Celtics. Uh, yes, I've heard so, of as well. Yeah, so... I mean, that um, is often regarded as one of the rarest, if not the rarest game. I think it's wrong. second rarest game for the, the entire world catalogue. So you've got Tetris, which is the rarest. Oh, yeah. uh, and, then, um, and, and then this one. So 119 copies only made. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so... Don't lose that, yeah. <laughs> My, that's incredible. And obviously you're passionate about retro, it's, you know, and... I'm sure I'm, I haven't watched much of YouTube. I'm going to subscribe, so I do apologise. But it, it, the way you're talking now, I know it's going to come off passionate and stuff like that. I'll put a link in our uh, show notes. Cause, um, and, I, I, and I know you're a big Zelda fan. You are talking about the Mega Drive earlier, but you are a huge Zelda fan. I'm, a, I'm one of the biggest Zelda fans in the world. What is are you, First of all, are you looking forward to Breath of the Wild 2, which could be yes. announced? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I will buy So when, when Breath of the Wild was announced, this... The only reason why I have Nintendo consoles, I, I love Nintendo games, but the, the main reason I have a Nintendo console will be that they will be shipping a Zelda at the same time. Yes. So I will buy the console, I will buy all the paraphernalia and the game at the same time. So Zelda games often cost me hundreds because I have to buy a console with it and, and everything else that comes along with it. Yeah, I got Switch from on day one and it wasn't easy just to play Breath of the Wild. And, you know, I, I love the Switch, but it was that was my main reason. Breath of the yeah. Wild, 100%. Um, yeah. Well, why, why, I know we haven't got much long, longer left. I don't keep it too much longer. But why do you think Zelda's so special? Is there a, What's the magic ingredients? Because for me, it is my favourite series, I would say, personally. Yeah, I, I, I find it difficult to put my finger on it. Um, I think definitely the character. I love the character. He's always reinvented. He's always the hero that, that starts off with nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, he's, he's a nobody. Uh, um, he's just a, a kid. Uh, and it's always he starts off with nothing and, and ends up, you know, going on a fantastic adventure. And I, I think it's the adventure um, that I really enjoy. And, you know, up until recently, it's, it's been very formulaic, but I haven't mind that. You know, it's like, when am I going to get the hook shot? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. When am I get the mirror shield? So it's got to come along. Some when's the boomerang coming? So you know, it, it's uh, even though it's been quite formulaic uh, it, it, with some some versions of the game, that that adventure still is something that that grabs me. And you know, I've never been able to say I've had a best game, but mm. Breath of the Wild has come. I really struggle. I I think it might be my best game I've ever played. Mm -hmm. I've sunk hundreds of hours into it. Oh, yeah. We should compare notes. I've, I, yeah, I'm not embarrassed, but it's ridiculous how much time I've spent on the side quests and stuff. It's just, yeah, I could play it all day. <laughs> it's too good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, look, Mike, I've got a couple of sort of wacky questions to finish up, and I know I've asked one before in, in the text into you about you know having a drink, but you can you can change the answer if you want for that one. But I really do. Thank you so much for coming on today. I know our listeners are going to love it. Um, so the first wacky question is: if you could be transported into any of your video games you've worked on and lived there for a day, which game would you choose and why? I probably choose PlayStation Home. Yeah, because <laughs> that that place was insane. Uh, I think well, you've got the French maids and stuff. You know, yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd maybe join that club and uh, do get some synchronized dancing in. Um, 
I, yeah, I think I'd go there because just the diversity of gaming. Um, you, you watch some videos of PlayStation Home and people running around, and you can just see how diverse um, gaming is. You know, the thing that everyone loves uh, who would be listening to this, you know, you can see people from all walks of life, uh, uh, you know, came there. Um, and I'd, I'd love to hang out there. And, um, you know, up until a point, you could. You could go and live in there, and there were people that 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 was you know that was a big part of their life. PlayStation Home, so yeah, I'd love to love to be able to go back there and uh, and hang out with people. Good on you, good on. Uh, um, actually, I didn't really ask you too much about SingStar, but can you sing? <laughs> Are you, no, a, no. <laughs> no, And the worst thing is, I then did Dance Star as part of that as well. So I had to go to um, I think I did an E3 where I had to sing, and then I went to a Gamescom where I had to dance for seven hours straight. Wow. Uh, so um, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to ask you to sing now for our listeners, but I don't know if you're normally joking. Uh, wow, um, <laughs> we'd lose us. No, we wouldn't lose subscribers, mate. No, it's been the real one. Look, I, thank you so much for your time. Um, if you could share a few drinks, Mike, with any video game character, who would you choose and why? You, oh, you can change your answer to your to your first. Yeah, answer. yeah. Uh, so I had a good think about this. I think it would be Mario. Uh, And I think the reason why it would be Mario is is back when I was a a teenager and a kid, I used to get these magazines uh, and there'd always be this magazine um, and you'd go to the back and it would be have uh, pictures uh, and it would be little Tommy five from Lancashire sent this picture in of Mario cutting off Sonic's head. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I don't want to know why Mario. Why are you doing that to Sonic? That's pretty harsh. It's a yeah. dark side that we never knew that that Tommy, obviously from Lancashire, had a good grip on. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the hidden side of yeah, Mario. I'd, I'd I'd join you. It'd be quite a dark evening, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Mike. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, you're on you're on Facebook. You're on Twitter. I, what's your Twitter account again? I should know. Sorry, took my head. Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, Mike at. I can't remember now. Might just type in Mike Rouse or Retro Game Boy and you'll get Retro Game Boy. I'll chuck some stuff in the show notes. A link to your your YouTube as well. And, and look, it's, I've had such a fun chat. So thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. You can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots more retro gaming goodness and to delve into our archives. Our podcasts are also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating, we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support Arcade Attack, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash arcadeattack, which will give you access to exclusive podcasts, interviews and other bonus content. So... Until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.